All right. Well, we are at the end of an eight-week series, and it has flown by. I can't believe how quickly uh, the last few weeks have gone. I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter Acts chapter two this morning. Um, we're we're in part eight of an eight-week series on emotionally healthy spirituality. I want to encourage you if. If you've missed any of the sermons in this series, they're available on our church website. You can listen to them there. You can subscribe to the podcast as well uh, if you use iTunes. Um, and, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to any of the ones that you, maybe you've missed along the way. But today is our, our final Sunday with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And today we're going to talk about going to the next step to develop a rule of life. Going to the next step to develop a rule of life. That word rule is an interesting one. I think it's one we get hung up on in our culture. The idea that someone would rule over you or be your ruler. or we, you, There's lots of rules that you need to follow. We're, we're not a rule-following culture. I saw a video the other day about uh, interviewing some people, young and old, about texting while they were driving, using their phones in the car and you know, and kind of this, the idea was, well, I just, I just do it at stoplights or, you know, I, I don't really text, but I only check my Facebook. You know, literally this gal said that and I was like, oh, maybe you've seen this on Facebook. And then they actually bring into the room the people whose family members have been lost or died because of an accident involving cell phone use. And you realize when it comes to rules in our culture, we, we kind of take this approach of, well, rules are kind of meant to be bent a little bit, or if it's not wrong if I don't get caught. I want to tell you right off the bat, when you see that word rule today, don't, don't put your defenses up, because I'm going to actually unpack this morning what that word really means, especially in this context. What does it mean to have a rule of life? Um, and, and this step, really, in this process that we've talked about, in knowing yourself that you may know God, going back in order to go forward, journeying through the wall, enlarging your soul through grief and loss, discovering the rhythms of the daily office and the Sabbath, and then last Sunday, growing into an emotionally mature adult. These are, these are all great ideas. These are good things to learn, and I've got, gotten so much feedback, good feedback from people saying, Pastor, this material and this book, and, and, and for those that are going through the course, has just really impacted my life. Here's the thing, though, we could get to this moment in time and stop and go, well, that was really interesting, and keep living our lives the same way as we did before with no real change. And so this step, this rule of life step, is really a critical step in taking your life to the next level. It's the step that really opens the door for the others to be realized in and through your life. And so we need to talk about this this morning. What does it look like to develop a rule of life? See, there are powerful forces. There are powerful forces that are working to rip the church apart. There are powerful forces working to rip the church apart. And so much of our thinking is, well, it's from the outside. Something from the outside is going to affect us. But the reality is it's from within. 
See, the temptation for us in the church as Christ followers is, is to be half an inch deep. For our spirituality just to, to, to be surface like with the iceberg and to not go below the surface. And so my faith really just addresses the surface issues in my life. And, and I look the part, I act the part, but, but if I really pressed in, I would be shocked and you would be shocked by what you would find. See, in my life, I'll personalize this. I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old. It's one of my earliest memories. At a church family camp, I got on my knees and I said yes to Jesus. And I meant it. As a five-year-old, I meant it. Grew up in the church. My parents were a part of YWAM. We lived uh, on the mission field in Hawaii. It was really rough. Um, <laughs> I was always at church. Our family was super involved in church. When I became a teenager, I was involved in youth group and involved in leadership in youth group. Uh, even when I moved, I, was, I grew up in South Africa and I moved back to the U.S. and I was living here by myself. I was 18 years old, living on my own. My parents and my family were back in South Africa. And as an 18-year-old, I got out of bed every Sunday and went to church. And I got involved in the youth group, and I got involved in leadership. And in fact, it was invo my involvement in the junior high youth group is a place where I first, I first preached a sermon. The pastor, the youth pastor said, hey, Barry, a couple weeks from now, I want you to preach. I was like, well, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And at this point, I didn't feel a call to ministry. I just, I just love Jesus. But the reality was, if you pressed a little bit below the surface, you would find some, some real ugliness. There were some hidden things in my life, even as a teenager, um, some hurt, some pain, some abuse, some things that, uh, that choices that I had made and things that choices had been made for me that had really damaged me. But nobody knew. Nobody knew. Ended up going to Bible college, received a call to ministry, met my wife, started a family. And all the while, I'm, I'm pressing deeper into this relationship, this walk with the Lord that even involved serving as a pastor, yet I never pressed into the deep things of my life. They re remained below the surface. And my thinking was this, one day, one day it's all just going to magically somehow snap into place and everything's going to be okay. And so I was dissatisfied even serving as a pastor of a church, dissatisfied with my own spirituality. My life was a mess. I was having to listen to other people's sermons and read books just to, just to feel like there was some nourishment coming my way. And, and we do that so often in the church. We live off of other people's spirituality rather than cultivating our own. And, and we live a life that's really on the run. On the run because we feel like God's out to get us, not out to heal us. I was pastoring a church, and I really didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And it affected my marriage, it affected my parenting, my family, it affected my finances, it affected every part of my life. But thankfully, Jesus stepped in he intervened, and there's been incredible healing over the last few years in our lives. Honestly, I never expected to be a pastor of a church ever again. I didn't want to. 
I said, Lord, I'll do anything for you, but I won't do that. <laughs> and I can honestly say to you, I'm not perfect. I've got a lot of issues. There's a lot of things that God's doing in my life. And even going through this series has been, it's been good, but it's been hard. I'm not perfect, but I'm seeing the grace and the love of God evidenced in my life to bring about a transformation that says, Barry, I don't care about what you do for me. I just love you as my son. And I want you to walk with me just because I want you to walk with me. And that's just a good place to be. See, but the, the truth is that that same power, the same forces that were working to destroy my life, my marriage, my family, my ministry, are coming against you and your home and your life and your ministry. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 4, you have a ministry. But we self-disqualify because we realize, man, I, I don't feel like I'm winning the battle. I don't th feel like I'm, I'm, I'm really getting to where I need to be. And then on top of that, we're born into this world with this inherent sin nature, which, which gives us an internal resistance to do our own will and resist the will of God. So that's already a part of me, and it's a part of you. We're born into that. And daily, we have to deal with and struggle with, not my will, but your will be done. So this is on top of the external attack internally. We walk in fear, and we feel like we have to hang on to things and control everything and not let go and let God take the wheel. In fact, our prayer so often becomes prayers that sound like us trying to twist God's arm to do our will and conform his will to ours rather than a place of surrender saying, God, I want to I conform my will to what you have because I believe that what you have is ultimately the best. John 10.10. 10. We've already alluded to it this morning and you're going to hear it over and over and over again. Because I want us to own this as a church. This is our verse. The thief comes only, 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 ever, only to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything that's good, everything that's right, everything that's God-ordained, everything that's joyous, his goal is to rob, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says that he has come that you may have life. He's come that you may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the fullest, have it overflowing. That's what he has for you. But in order for us to lay a hold of that, to walk in that, we have to set boundaries. We have to set parameters. We have to develop a rule of life. Otherwise, anything goes. In, in his book, Peter Scazzera references a man who says, you know, I've, I've known Jesus for 20, year, 20 years, but instead of being a 20-year-old Christian, I'm, I'm a man who's, just, who's a one-year-old Christian 20 times over, that I've not gone to that deeper places. There are things, there are forces, internal and external, that want to cut you off from Jesus, from being in personal relationship with him to lure you away. Now, 
That might not sound very encouraging, but we need to deal with reality. We have to understand our situation, what the diagnosis is, in order for us to prescribe some kind of cure, right? If you go to the doctor, doctor's going to first evaluate and diagnose what your problem is before he just gives you medication or prescribes some course of treatment. Os Guinness, who uh, is a theologian, an apologist, he's an author, he wrote the book, The American Hour. He makes this statement. He says, the combination of capitalism, technology, and modern communications have created the most powerful civilization ever. That our global culture right now is the most powerful civilization ever on the face of the earth. We are more connected than any time in history, and it's only getting faster. It's only getting faster. See, he identifies in the book some of our core values as a global culture. So this isn't just uh, germane to Western culture or the Western church, but these are really becoming global values. We value these things. We value information. We value convenience. We value options. We value time maximization. How can I get the most out of the time that I have? We value comfort. We value feeling good. We value happiness. We value independence. We value entertainment. We value instant gratification. We value skepticism. I have a right to disagree or to be skeptical. We value image. We value style and we value control. So when you boil it down, our modern global culture is inherently narcissistic. We're all about me. And that's not, again, just Western. This is, this is pervasive around the world, primarily because of technology and the speed at which we can communicate. We've become very me-focused. See, our shift in our modern world has gone from community to individualism. From community where we live together, supporting each other, to individualism, whereas, hey, you exist to support my needs. From authority to preference. There is no absolute rule. There is no authority. I can choose whatever I want. Thank you very much. Don't tell me what to do. In fact, the bumper sticker, some of you would remember, question authority, right? And it gave birth to this idea that whatever you want is okay. The shift from the exclusive claims of Christ to a combination of anything goes, whatever you want. See, in the U.S., the church and Christians are numerically strong. But the church is seriously distorted. We're seeing in churches in Asia and Africa and Latin America where they're still pre-modern and, and kind of catching up very rapidly that the church there is growing at rates that we can't even imagine. At rates that we can't even imagine. There is a wave that is coming but the enemy is against it, and he doesn't want that to take place. See, 
the deepest problem in the Western church, and I will make it specific for us because that's who we are, the deepest problem in the Western church is the Western church itself. Our greatest threat is not external, it's internal. It's an apathy in the lives of believers that's evidenced by a meltdown of true Christian behavior. Again, not super encouraging. I get it. But I think we all agree, we could all agree that we see this in our culture and in our society. Ultimately, we have a church that has no, virtually no distinction of people, where there's no distinction of people who attend church, call themselves Christians from those who don't, especially in areas of sexuality, materialism, and issues of racism because we've become narcissistic and it's invaded the church. You know what's interesting is that this isn't a new challenge for the church. This is not something that's just kind of showed up all of a sudden. If you go back to the, the, the 300s, 300 AD, up to about 1000 AD, after the emperor had made in Rome Christianity to be acceptable and the persecution stopped and it became easy to become a Christian, there was a whole sect of believers who withdrew and actually went out into the deserts of Egypt and, and other places and they created and formed new monastic movements because they recognized that the power and the intimacy and the closeness with Jesus had been robbed because the culture had said that Christianity is acceptable and okay. Throughout history, the church has thrived under persecution more than it has when things were easygoing. When the culture and the government said, hey, you're good to go, you see the church really decline as we're seeing in America. Places like China, where pastors were kicked out or killed, Bibles were burned and the door closed, they call it the bamboo curtain, that, that in, those, in those years in China that the church absolutely exploded because people had to withdraw and find a personal relationship with Jesus. So these new monastic movements were, were created out of the Re Roman Empire and people withdrew to the desert and, and they went to, 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 to find Jesus and be with each other and be in community. Here at Thrive Church, our goal is not to leave the local church but rather integrate some of the richness of those monastic movements into what we're doing right here. See, the, the, the running away is not the answer. It's pressing in and incorporating some, some ancient disciplines into our lives that will help us stand strong in the midst of the storm. And so we've talked about a few of them. There's three treasures to contemplative spirituality. The first was the daily office, which we talked about already, taking time away, time out in each of your days to spend with the Lord. Sabbath rest, taking a 24-hour period each week to stop work and be with the Lord and enjoy life and be with family and be in community. And then the last one is this rule of life that we're going to unpack this morning. What is the rule of life? Each of these serve as anchors for us as anchors, strong enough to slow us down. Because would you agree with me? We're moving really fast. Anyone feel like you're just like, you know, rocketing through life? Yeah, some of you aren't raising your hands. You're like, oh, that's me. 
as a culture, as a society, we are just rapidly moving all the time. We very rarely take time to slow down. That these three, daily office, Sabbath, and a rule of life will serve as an anchor. Like a rock climber who's scaling the face of some rock wall will set anchors and then tie into or clip into those anchors. So in the case that he would, in the chance that he would fall, that the anchor would grab onto that rope and slow his fall and really stop him from plummeting to the ground. That the daily office, that Sabbath and the rule of life serve as anchors in our lives where we anchor ourselves in key places in our relationship with the Lord so that, that in those moments where we feel like we're out of control, we're not. That we realize that we're tethered to Jesus and it slows us down to gain some perspective. The rule of life is about establishing a structure to guard our hearts, to stay in God's presence and to pay attention to him. See, very few people have a conscious plan, a thought out plan, even a written plan on how they're gonna grow in the Lord. Very few people. I think most people have an unconscious plan. Well, I'll just go to church more. Maybe I'll, I'll join that small group, and maybe that will be, for me it was, well, I'll go to Bible college. That'll fix me. It didn't. I learned some great information, but it didn't fix me. And so I had this unconscious plan, as many of us do, on how I was going to grow in the Lord, but didn't have a real conscious plan and, and didn't really map out. Even up to this study, I realized I, didn't, I have a good idea but I've not mapped it out. See, the word rule in the Greek comes from the word trellis. In fact, I have a picture of a trellis. If you have a garden, maybe you have a trellis, something like that. A structure that's built that a, that a plant can attach itself to and grow within a certain confine. It gives stability. It gives structure. It's a lattice work. In the case of a grapevine, a, 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 a lattice or a trellis, rather, will, will cause that grapevine to be more fruitful. If you've ever driven by a vineyard, uh, they don't have lattices that look like this. They, they string cables across, and, and so they plant that, that grapevine, and it'll reach up, and it'll grab a hold of those cables or those ropes, and then it'll grow on that, and so the, the fruit has place to hang down. And so a grapevine that's growing on a trellis will be more fruitful than one that isn't. In John 15, 1 through 5, Jesus says this, I am the, the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus wants you to be fruitful. And he uses the picture of a grapevine. But in order for you to be fruitful and more fruitful and abundantly fruitful, there has to be a trellis. There has to be a rule of life. There has to be a structure that supports your growth. 
Otherwise, it feels like this. I have strong days or I have strong seasons where I feel like I'm, I'm growing like crazy and then seasons where it feels like everything is just falling apart. And if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you know what that feels like. You need a structure, you need a trellis, a rule of life. The term rule of life really drew out of this monastic movement in the third through the fifth century. And it was based in the idea that these communities came together and organized their daily life around an agreed plan of work, rest, prayer, and scripture. They agreed, this is what we're going to do. And every day, we're going to work from these times. We're going to pray from these times. At these certain times, we're going we're to rest at these times. We're going to celebrate and, and have fun at these times. But it was a continuous and agreed upon plan in those communities. And I believe that there's something, there's a deep treasure there for us to lay a hold of. So Acts chapter 2, let's look at the early church and how this was expressed uh, within, within days and weeks. Listen, in day, within days and weeks of the early church being established in Acts chapter 1, that we start seeing these disciplines evidenced in this body of believers. So Acts chapter 2, 42 says this, and they, the early church, the believers, devoted themselves, everyone say devoted. devoted. Try it again, devoted. devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with, great, uh, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added, to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I love this passage of scripture. I love, in fact, as a church, when I church planted, this was like my anchor verse. So I thought, Lord, if you want to grow a church, it's not growth, church growth strategy, it's this right here. It's this idea right here. What are the things that, that are addressed here? The apostles' teaching to fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. They were devoted to these things. See, it's a turning moment, turning point in history. And Jesus had come, he had ministered, he had suffered and died, he rose again and he ascended and he, his promise was, I will give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will teach you and instruct you and lead you and empower you. And in, in, in the beginning of Acts chapter two, we have uh, Pentecost and we have the Holy Spirit come upon the apostles. Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. That's pretty awesome. And the church is off and running. Here we go. Now what do we do with these 3,000 people? Well, that's what they did. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Why did they need to devote themselves? Because the culture around them was constantly trying to draw them back. And so it was about them saying, you know what, 
We're gonna commit ourselves to these things that God wants to do in our lives. We've heard the gospel, we were received with, with glad hearts. Now what do we need to do? What needs to happen? So, so the apostles' teaching. Why devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, because they needed to learn. They were baby Christians. And there was no Bible. There was no, you know, bookstore, Christian bookstore down on the corner. You know, there was no John Bevere and, you know, whatever other teacher that you like to listen to. No Beth Moore. They had nothing. They had the apostles. That's what they had. They had the first-hand, first-hand account and testimony of the life of Jesus Christ. And so they devoted themselves to this because they recognized if I'm going to grow as a Christian, this is where I need to be. And this is what I need to hear. And, 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 and it wasn't simply informational or intellectual. It wasn't, well, let me ponder these things. Now, uh, Paul encounters that when he gets to Greece. And there's more of that intellectual approach. But these people had just had this deep heart change. And, and so it wasn't informational. What their, their concern was this. It was doctrine. Am I truly living for Jesus? I want to know the right way to walk because I want to live for Jesus. The question is this. Am I living for God? And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Sharing and living in community, not as an, event, an in, individual. Well, my faith is my business, right? Don't ask me about my relationship with Jesus. That's between him and me. The evidence of scripture would point to the contrary. That I have a responsibility to be a part of your life, to walk with you. And not in the ways that we've even made it weird. Right? Where it's the, the, the person who it's their job to call out everyone's sin. It's not that either. But genuinely caring about each other and living in community. A new family, the family of Jesus, which is healthy and vibrant and thriving. Doing everything you can to come together. Resolving conflict and dealing with anger and building relationship and spurring each other on to success. They sold everything they had and brought it and gave to each other as there was need. And there was just this communal, hey, we're going to win together as we all serve Jesus together, as we grow together. The financial element was huge. I love it when people say, well, you know, uh, the church just wants your money. If we go back to what the early church was, hey, listen, if you lived according to the example of the early church, you wouldn't have a house or a car or you'd be giving them away on a weekly basis. Right? So you can't use scripture as an excuse not to give, not to be generous and not to tithe because the example is they gave even more. A tenth, they go, what, a tenth? Really, that's all you give? Because everything I have belongs to Jesus. The breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, coming to the table, Jesus says, as often as you meet, do this, receive this. And so they did. They broke bread together. And, and I guarantee you, they didn't have little plastic cups and crackers. <laughs> that they had a meal. So the idea of breaking bread is communion, but it's more than that. It adds to the fellowship component. If you want to get to know someone, have a meal with them. 
If you really want to get to know someone, invite them to a meal in your home. We live these isolated lives from each other. We see each other at church. We do the, hi, how are you? Blessed. (laughs) And then we do this, hey, we should grab lunch sometime. And six months later, hey, we should grab lunch sometime. I can't do it today because I'm really busy. How about if we carved out Sunday afternoon to say, you know what? Every week I'm going to connect with another family or meet someone and have lunch with them. Wouldn't that be cool? Some of you are not sure. <laughs> I think that'd be cool. By the way, first Sunday of the month, we, after our family worship Sunday and, and receiving communion together, we go over to Finkbeiner Park and we have a picnic. Great opportunity to go and meet people and break bread together. It's at the table that we give thanks for what Jesus has done for us. It put things, puts things in perspective. The humility that I don't save myself, that it's Jesus who saved me. Understanding my limits and my need to worship God. So the first Sunday of the month for us is set aside for communion. As a church family, we break bread together, but don't let it just be that. Find places to break bread with each other. And then the fourth thing is prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer was critical. Prayer was important. Prayer was something that was done personally and corporately. And it involved talking to God, listening to God, and being with God. And I think as a culture, as a church culture, we get the first one really well. I talk to God all the time, but do I listen to God? And do I just take time to be with God? I think for most American Christians, if you had to say, hey, how much time do you spend with just being with God? They'd look at you with kind of that deer in the headlights going, I have no idea what that means or what that would look like in my life because there's no rule of life. And so I just cry out to him when I need him rather than being devoted to prayer. See, just like those believers We need to be weaned from the things of the world. We have to be weaned from the things that would be a distraction in our lives, the things that would keep us busy, the culture that would say, there's another way, there is a better option, the global culture that is inherently narcissistic, which affects us, which ends up me saying, well, how does it benefit me, and and does this help me, and me, 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 me. The Benedictine monks who are still active today, Benedict's rule was this, your way of acting should be different than the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. Your way of acting should be different than the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. Paul says this, rather David says this in Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. One thing, one thing I've asked, I just want to be with God. 
I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be in his presence. Church, it's in his presence. It's being with him that resets our entire lives and keeps us centered on him. It's a completely new way of being. Listen to me. It's a new way of being, a new way of existing in the world around us. You don't have to buy into the culture of the world. You don't have to buy into the busyness or the excuses. You don't have to. There is a different way for you to live. And it starts with you paying attention to God, to God and paying attention to what's inside of you and allowing in those times with him to start working in you. And so this trellis, this rule of life, needs to be evidenced in our lives in two places. First of all, in the church. Every local church community should have one, probably does in some form. Some do a better job, others don't. But every church, in order really to be a church, needs to have some kind of rule of life. This is who we are. This is why we exist. This is how we go about doing church. And in fact, for us as Thrive Church, over the next few weeks, I'm going to take time to unpack what that looks like for us, talking about our vision and our mission and our values and our commitments as a faith community to the Lord and to each other, commitments from me to you and things that I'm going to ask for, from you, not to me, but to the Lord and to each other. And so we're going we're gonna to spend a few weeks, and I'm really excited about what God's going to uncover and reveal about this next season for us. So we're not going to take time to talk about that today. Come back next week. <laughs> but today, I want to finish with this. The rule of life that needs to really be present is in your personal life. And I can't give you a rule of life. I can't make it for you because... You're you, and I don't know you, and, and, and at least I, I might know you, but I don't know you, right? And some of you might know better than others, and, and the same for, goes for all of you. There's people you may know in this room you know better. Maybe you know some of their testimony, but when it comes down to it, the person who knows you is you, which means you need to establish your personal rule of life a set of conscious guidelines, a framework to help keep God at the center of everything you do. A guide that actually helps you make decisions and determine the patterns of daily behavior in your life. You can choose beforehand how you're going to respond. To what? To everything. You can choose beforehand how you're going to make decisions, how you're going to live your life, how you're going to spend your money. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, 1 through 3. I read this first because uh, I love Paul's brutal honesty here. I journaled on this passage this week um, because, because this speaks to the idea that we can't just wing it, Right? We can't just wing it. I can't wing my spirituality. I can't just kind of, hey, as things come along, I'll just kind of figure it out. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 3. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. 
As, as for me, it, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any human authority. Let me stop there. We care a lot about what people think. In fact, I've lived most of my life doing and making decisions based on what people will think. We even do it for other people. Hey, don't do that because you're making me look bad. That's messed up. Paul, Paul just says, hey, I, I, matters very, I don't care what people think. I don't care about human evaluation. Then he says this, I don't even trust my own judgment at this point. This is the Apostle Paul. He's like, hey, my, my relationship with God and my ministry, I can't even trust myself because my own judgment is off because I'm a human being and I'm affected by the things around me. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. Ugh, wow. Just because I feel okay about it doesn't mean I'm right. I could still be completely in the wrong. That's a whole nother message. Listen to this. This is Paul's heart. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. That is keeping Jesus at the center, knowing that one day, I will stand before his throne and I will give an account of my entire life, every part, down to the, the littlest detail. And he's going to say, what did you do with the life that I gave you? So we can't wing it because I will make the wrong decision every single time. And even when I think I've made the right decision, I might still have made the wrong one. Even in those times where I feel pretty good about myself. All right, so the goal is continual remembrance of God. So what does a rule of life look like? I want to encourage you in this. Make it something tangible. Write it down. Type it into your phone. Type it into your computer. The back of a, the bulletin or a notepad, whatever. Find somewhere to write it down, but make it something tangible and make it something that gets updated, a live, living work that's in progress. Give yourself lots of time to develop it. Examine your life. Don't cheat off your neighbor. <laughs> Don't go Google, hey, what's a good rule of life? Right? I didn't print it out and just pass it out to you today and go, hey, go do this. Because it's between you and Jesus. Allow it to develop over months. So there's four broad categories that, that need to factor into your rule of life. First is this, prayer. Prayer. If you're not praying, you're not spending time with Jesus. And prayer will involve these areas. Scripture. Well, isn't that scripture? No. That you can hear the voice of the Lord when you're in the word of God. It's his love letter to you. So when you're reading the Bible, he's going to speak to you. And by definition, that's prayer. So be in the word. Be in the word. Take time daily to listen, to read. We have more tools available to us than ever before. You can listen, you can read on your iPad, on your phone. You can listen to the audio Bible, the version app, most of the versions. You can actually just hit play. And you, while you're driving down the freeway, you can be listening to the word of God. If you don't have a solid life journal, grab one and start reading according to a plan. Start methodically and systematically going through the word of God and discovering the truth's 
that God has in store for you, the treasures he has for you. Silence and solitude. Get away. Quiet your life. Stop for a minute and just listen. Maybe at your lunch break, sitting off by yourself. Some people, I'm, I'm one of those people, I realize I, I love being with people. And sometimes the silence of my own mind is a distraction. But I need to discipline that out of myself so I can spend time with Jesus. Go away on a retreat. Make a decision, hey, I'm going to spend a day where I don't pick up my phone or look at Facebook and just be silent before the Lord. Maybe even as the daily offices, as we've learned about, taking two minutes throughout the day, just stopping for two minutes, reading a passage of scripture, taking a deep breath, slowing your heart rate, and just listening to Jesus and being with him. In fact, the daily office, pausing, mid-morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, thank him when you go to bed at night, thank him for what he's done that day. And then study. Again, under the, 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 the cover or the, the heading of prayer, that place where you de develop a deeper relationship with the Lord. Be in Bible study. Don't just check the box, but if there's a passage that stands out to you, there's some great online tools, biblestudytools.net. Put it as a favorite on your, your, your favorites bar. You, can, you don't have to go to Bible college to do a Greek word study. And believe me, it's, you click on some of those links and you discover some of the meanings, you can do it. And it's available, it's free, it's easy. Second is this, rest. You need to rest. You need to plan rest into your life because if you don't, it won't happen. Can I get an amen? amen. If you don't, it won't happen. I'd read recently, and I can't quote the exact numbers, but, but there was a study that was done regarding Americans and vacation time. And how so many Americans never actually use their vacation time. Ever. We just press through. Maybe one day we'll cash it out. Maybe. Right? Use your vacation time. Get away and rest. It will be good for you. Sabbath. Develop the rhythm of setting a time, side time every week to rest, to stop, delight, rest, and contemplate. Simplicity. You know that there's rest in simplicity. The more stuff you have in your house, the busier you're going to be. That's part of the monastic tradition is we just get rid of everything we don't need. And it's only the essentials. Now, I'm not saying you need to wear a brown robe with a sash, all right? If that's what you want to do, go for it. But, but simplicity, so much of our busyness is just because we have so much stuff. And so much complication, so I have to clean the stuff and fix the stuff and take the stuff for a walk or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm not, I love pets. Um, tithing is a part of simplicity, by the way. That if I can't be generous and give if my money is tied up, I'm going to say some things. If this, if this covers, this is not to mean to be punitive, okay, but, but if I, I can't, if the, the choice for me is between I can tithe or I, I have to pay the insurance on the boat, 
sell the boat. Because you probably haven't used it in a year anyway. If, if it's between walking in obedience to the Lord with your finances or paying for the multiple subscriptions to the things that you don't really even use or read, cancel the subscription. If it's tithe or the gym membership, cancel the gym membership and run down the road. We live in Southern California, all right? Snow's not an excuse. Did you catch... Because when we simplify our lives, we have more to give. If you're carrying tons of credit card debt, figure out a plan to get out of it. Because it's limiting your effectiveness for the kingdom. Because if God were to speak to you and say, hey, I need you to pack up and sell everything and go. And you have to go, but I have this much amount in credit card debt. You're tethered to something of the world. And God says that's not simplicity. Develop a rule of life that frees you from the bondages of this world. Play and recreation. Have fun. Have fun. Come on, how many times do you get to hear that in church? Have fun. Enjoy time. Find activities that are life-giving for you. And then plan to do them. Cooking, art, music, hiking, whatever it is. And then do it. Plan time into your life to do it. Third thing is this, activity. Activity. There's parts of our lives where we need to be active, outside of our work, by the way. Service and mission. How can I use my time, my talents, my gifts to serve others? Have you asked yourself that recently? Have you really asked, Lord, how can I use what you've given me to be a blessing to others? And I want to suggest that a good place to start is right here. It's a great place to practice, and we could probably benefit. Now, I know we can benefit from whatever it is you have to offer. Well, Pastor Barry, I just don't feel like, yeah, no, no. I know. How do I know? Because you're here. That God's brought you here for such a time as this. Which means that what you have to offer, God in his infinite wisdom has said, I'm going to bring this church and this pastor and this team along and I'm going to bring this person to this place and time because you need each other. And so it's not, ah, I feel like, no, no. God sovereignly is doing something. So ask yourself, what do I have to offer? How can I serve and be on mission So that he is glorified and people are blessed. Thrive Kids, which by the way, we have a really cool logo for. You'll see it next week. I know Pastor Deb would love to have you as a part of that team. Because one of our most important things is investing in the lives of kids. And blessing them and encouraging them in the call of God on their lives. So if that's you... Stop thinking about it and have a conversation with Deb. Deb, raise your hand. Wave right there. Talk to this lady. The Levites, our team that sets up and tears down every week, that this doesn't just happen. There's a lot of sweat that goes into this. Cancel the gym membership and come here. Uh, and, 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 right? 
Because as Levites, why Levites? Because the Levites prepared the house of the Lord for people to be, be able to come and worship. Come be a part of a team that prepares the house of the Lord. Right? And there's some things within the Levites that are technical and need more skill and others, hey, anyone can stack chairs, which new ones will be here the week of October 12th. So excited for that. Worship team. You play an instrument? Well, I'm not that good. I know Jacques will work with you. I know Jamie will work with you. Right? Right? Stop thinking about it because it's a way to be a blessing to the Lord and it will be good for you. Hospitality. You love to make people feel welcome? Then jump in because one of the things that we want to do at this church is welcome people well. Your gifts, your service, your abilities, we want to see you thrive in those things. Not just here, by the way. It starts here, but it, it, hap- it goes beyond this place. Even as we brought Brian up a couple weeks ago and shared about his, uh, his heart for missions and going to Haiti, which, by the way, that link is online. If you want to give towards that missions trip, you can do that on our church website and push pay app. Um, and let's help support him in, in the thing that God's called him to do. But let's cultivate those gifts so that we can be a blessing to the world. The other activity is this, caring for the physical body. This is one that the Lord is just wrecking me over right now. Nutrition, exercise, sleeping, and maintaining a high energy level. Because if you're lethargic and tired and out of shape, and God says, hey, I need you to move. Okay. (laughs) In fact, the Lord's been speaking to me, this one to me, for many, many years. And here's what he's spoken to me. What's happening outside here is indicative of what the health of your relationship with me. Now, that might not be what he speaks to you, so I'm not saying that carte blanche, but that's what he's saying to me. Because of a lack of a discipline in your physical body, you'll let other things slide and you won't have the energy you need. And let me tell you, serving Jesus and being with Jesus and running with Jesus is gonna take everything you have to give. So get out, be active. Get some rest. Adjust your diet. Get help if you need help. Let's get healthy. By the way, coming up in November, the, uh, the Fit for Fall 5K is coming up. Uh, it's put on by the Brian, Brian Clay Foundation. It's right here in Glendora. Uh, we'll have more information, but we want to do it as a church family. Let's get Thrive Team Thrive out there, and we're going to run. We're going to kids, adults, if you need to get out and just walk it, Right? Beth, we'll, we'll get you out there. We'll get you with your we'll walker and we'll walk with you, right? But let's be active as a church family. All right, final one is this, and then we'll close. Relationships. Relationships. You need a plan on how to develop the relationships in your life. If you're married, you've already learned, if you've been married for four days, You already know that it's not just going to happen and it's not going to sort itself out. (laughs) Megan and I get to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary this year. And, and, uh, And here's the thing. We're learning stuff now. We tell people this all the time, especially younger couples. We're learning stuff right now that we should have learned 20 years ago or 19 years ago or 18 years ago. But because there were places, uh, you know, and I'll speak for myself, where I didn't establish a plan 
Things were left undone. So a rule of life, a plan in your relationships is key. First of all, your emotional health. It starts with you. Know yourself. Go back in order to go forward. Give yourself place to grieve losses. There might be things in your life that happened decades ago that you've never properly grieved. It's okay. God wants you to grieve because it brings you to a place of emotional health. Self-care. Growing into an emotionally, uh, 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 into emotional adult, an emotionally healthy adult. Not enough just to be an emotional adult. <laughs> Realize that you're not responsible to make people happy. You are responsible to love them well, but it's not your job to make anybody happy. Can I say that again? It's not your job to make someone happy. You know whose job that is? It's their job. So stop, stop doing someone else's job and take care of yourself. Love people well. But remember, emotionally healthy adults set boundaries. Get into a small group. Be with people that are, are life-giving to you. We're like-minded who can speak to areas in your life that need to be spoken to. Your family, get a plan for your family, growing in your marriage and your parenting, identifying areas that need help, that need growth, that need attention, right? The vine dresser goes and he addresses the parts of the vine that aren't fruitful. If there's parts of your family, if there's parts of the vine, parts of your marriage that aren't fruitful, ask why and do something about it. Figure out how to relate better to your family of origin. We've talked about that a lot. That might involve pain and it might be a, a difficult one. But if you want to see greater health in your life, figure out how to relate to your larger family, even if it's difficult. And community. God has given you companions for your journey. Look around the room. They're sitting next to you. People who care about you more than you realize. People who love you more than you know. So spend time with them. Get to know them. Get to know each other's stories. Share with each other. We're going to do something here starting in a couple of weeks. We're going to start sharing Thrive Stories, a.k.a. testimonies. But we're calling them Thrive Stories. How are you thriving? We want to hear your story. I want to hear about what God's doing in your life and how you're moving from places of just surviving to thriving, from defeat to victory. We want to tell your story to someone and let that be an encouragement to each other. Starting not this week, but the following week, right after Thrive Sunday, our launch, we're actually starting Thrive Groups. Can we use the word enough, uh, too much? No, not at all. It's going to be everywhere because we mean it. We're going to have three Thrive Groups, formerly known as Life Groups, kicking off in two weeks. There's going to be one on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. Look how convenient that is, right? Spreading it out through the week so that there's a group that you can connect with. We'll introduce those groups and the people leading those uh, next Sunday, so look for that. Um, but that's coming. Commit to be a part of a Thrive Group. Get into a journaling group. We have groups that meet throughout the week, look in the bulletin, or start one. Get together with people and just do your reading together and tell people what's going on in your life. How about this? Establish some accountability in your life. Find someone you trust 
And then say, hey, would you ask me the hard questions? And they'll say, okay, what are the hard questions? And then tell them what to ask you and go deep. Give them a shovel and say, now start digging. And see what an accountability relationship will do. You're going to notice that there's areas that need work, and there's this and there's more. Don't get overwhelmed. Please don't get overwhelmed. This is for you. Find what works best for you. If writing things down is a burden to you, then don't write it down. Do something that works for you. Know yourself in the process and then allow the process to help develop that rule of life. By the way, as a church, one of the things that I want to introduce, and you'll hear about this more, I borrowed this from a friend of mine. I don't even remember who said it. I know it was a friend of mine. I just don't remember which one. So I'm giving credit to someone out there. Um, Sunday plus one. Sunday plus one. I recognize that if you have a church calendar that's full of stuff, you're going to feel this tension to have to be at everything. I want to relieve that tension. Sunday plus one. Don't miss Sunday. Be here. This is important. It's important for you. It's important for the people who have yet to come and be a part of what God's doing here. So don't miss Sunday. Come Fellowship, serve, grow, plus one. What does that mean? One other thing a week. I, I don't want to hear about families who are doing service on Sunday, doing this class, that class, and, and, and filling your week with church stuff. Because if you're always doing church stuff, you're never going to be in the community meeting people. So just want to let the pressure out. Sunday plus one. Go to church on Sunday and be a part of a Thrive group. We've done Wednesday nights and Tuesday nights because we have Kingdom Transformers and youth group. On Tuesdays is Kingdom Transformers. Wednesdays is Thrive. So time it with when your kids are going to be at something. So as a family, hey, that's the night we're doing church stuff. And then in, in rare cases, there'll be something else that comes up and it's not a hard, fast rule. But I want to give you permission to not have to do everything. Because you can't. And we'll talk more about that even as a church. Jesus said this, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is for you. Jesus wants you to thrive. But you need to walk with him in developing that plan. Let's stand together as we close. I started this morning with John 10.10. The worship team, you can come on up. I started with John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So, so let me ask you this, and you need to ask yourself this. What does thriving look like in your life? What does thriving in Christ look like in your home and in your family? Close your eyes for a second. Picture it. What does thriving in Christ look like for you? If you could paint the picture, if you could choose the destination, what, it, what the end looks like, what would that look like? What is thriving in, in Christ in your home? What is thriving in Christ in your finances? What does that look like? Start with the end in mind. Develop your plan and focus on that plan, that rule of life with the end in mind. 
and allow God to direct you as you do. Lord, I thank you that you're not a wing it kind of God. Jesus, that you didn't wing it when you came to earth. You had a plan. In fact, you had a plan that was formed and put in motion at the foundation of the earth. A very specific, intentional plan to seek and save the lost. Jesus, that plan even involved you giving up your very life, suffering and dying on the cross. But the end result was life and life abundant. So Lord, I pray that we, in our personal walk with you, in our families, in our homes, that we would establish a rule of life, a way of living that puts you at the center of everything. Lord, that we would have life abundant, that we would be a blessing to others, that we would minister in your name and that people would be loved well because of the health in our lives. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with worship. Our ushers are going to come and receive the offering and the tithes. Uh, If you have a connect card, you can go ahead and drop that in the offering basket. Let's worship together. Thank you.